We'll have our scripture reading this morning. This is taken from John, 4th chapter, verses 1 through 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. May God bless his words. morning. Before, uh, before we dive into today's message a little bit, I uh, wanted to share with you kind of a, an update. You, if you, uh, you'll figure out through this service if you haven't figured out um, before that missions matters to this church and uh, mission work, missionaries. 
And just wanted to share with you something from the Board of Missions or the Committee of Missions and Evangelism today. Uh, It came to their attention through a newsletter that uh, the Cooties, whom we support, uh, had incurred some extra expenses with traveling that they hadn't foreseen. And uh, so um, we didn't hear that directly from the Cooties at all. But that was just something that the missions committee had picked up on and suggested we do something about. And so uh, they donated, I believe it was $600, towards their travel expenses uh, just as an act of kindness to help them out. Uh, We try to do something extra for our missionaries as we can uh, beyond what we do with our regular support. And so I thought that was something worth celebrating today. Don't you? Let's, Let's give a round of applause just for... That's made possible because of the faithful giving of this church towards faith promise, and we thank you for that. Uh, it's not too often that you see uh, promised giving that is exceeded by the actual giving, <laughs> and uh, but that happens at this church, and that's worth celebrating. Well, perhaps you've heard the story sometime of someone who had an eye-opening experience Uh, where something they had assumed to be true their whole life is suddenly shattered. And it comes as kind of a shock. This week I kind of thought about uh, some of the the tribes who are separated off from civilization. Uh, Maybe you've seen The Gods Must Be Crazy, that video that came back, uh, the movie that came out in the 80s, you know, in this tribe out in the bush somewhere and and all of a sudden a Coke bottle drops out of the sky and it just blows their world up because they've never heard of such a thing. Uh, I also thought about Star Wars. Do we have any Star Wars fans here today? Anyone? All right. If you don't, then I'm sorry. Uh, And and you probably won't get this, but... (laughs) But there was a guy in Star Wars, the main guy named Luke Skywalker, and he grew up his whole life believing that this guy named Darth Vader, the most evil man known to the universe, had killed his father. And then one day it comes along, it's a big moment in the Star Wars series, if you've watched it, Darth Vader tells him, I am your father. And he says, no! It's this, it's this uh, amazingly epic moment. So, uh, hey, you know, on an aside, they're making a new Star Wars movie. I don't know if you know about that, but that's coming up in 2015. So, things to look forward to. All right. Well, for this Samaritan woman, she had maybe just as shocking a moment as those Bush people when the Coke bottle dropped out of the sky or, or as Luke Skywalker when he heard that Darth Vader was his father. It was a big deal what Jesus said to her. And we're going to talk about why that was. And I think that many of us in this room may even have a similar shocking experience as we realize that some of the things that maybe we've kind of held as true for our whole lives may be kind of blown up as well by what Jesus shares here. But before we get into that, just to back up a little bit, we're in a series on worship. We're in a series that's looking at worship because it's something that we do all the time and maybe we take for granted a little bit of what worship actually is. And we've been saying that it's more and it's deeper than uh, just the songs that we sing. It's deeper and it goes bigger than just 
what we call the worship service. Worship encompasses so much more. It's more than just Sundays. It's, uh, it's more than just about our gathering time. It's also about what we do in our personal lives. And basically it's giving God the credit that he deserves. We do it by what we say. We do it um, also by what we live. And we do it through our songs, yes. But it also has to be reflected in our hearts and in our lives. And we also do it when we're all alone. As well as when we're together. So worship is this response to God for who he is. It always, always, always begins with God, ends with God, is all about God and not about us. Now I've been saying that for a few weeks and I was uh, on Facebook this week and maybe I saw a video that maybe some of you saw of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Osteens out of Houston that have a TV evangelism ministry and all that sort of thing and and they've kind of come under criticism this last week on Facebook for some things that... uh, Victoria, is that his wife? Victoria Osteen has said about worship. And I thought it was interesting because of the series that we're in. And it was the exact opposite of what I've been telling you. And so I thought I might just play the video clip just for fun. And uh, there's a, there's a, they added a little clip at the end of Bill Cosby that's just a, for humor. But uh, <laughs> let me play this for you. when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, goodness. Uh, We'll get to this map in a second. but uh, (laughs) Kind of the opposite of what we've been saying, right? That uh, when you come to worship, you're not really doing it for God. You're doing it for you. No, please don't do that. Because, uh, you know, what, what happens is when we try to do it for us, we end up not receiving the blessing that we would otherwise have had. But when we make it all about God, and when we do come to worship God for who He is, and what He's done out of our love, and out of a response for what He's done in our lives, man, then it is a blessing. It is a blessing for us, but it's not about us at all, is it? Um, so, be, you know, be careful what you hear on TV, right? Um, <laughs> just take it as truth. Well, this week I want to examine this bold and famous statement by Jesus. I thought if we're in a series on worship, it would make sense to look at something Jesus said specifically about worship. And he said that a day is coming and has come that those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and truth. Maybe you've heard that before. If you're anything like me, you hear that and you think, oh, that sounds very deep. It sounds very good and true. And uh, that's about as far as you go with it because that, you kind of think, well, this is just one of those Jesusisms. 
if you will, that's a, that's a Neil word, a Jesusism, that he says that, boy, I mean, it sounds really deep, but you say, well, it's probably a little bit too deep for me to really fully get, but it sounds good, and I bet it's true, because Jesus said it, so, and that's kind of where we leave it, and we don't dig any deeper, but today we're going to really try and dig deeper into it, and find out what exactly he was saying, and to do that, we've got to back up and look at some historical context, and a lot of scripture today, so you've got those Bibles in your pews, and we're going to use them today, so have those handy, Uh, we'll get to those in just a moment, but first, Uh, You had that passage read to you, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a famous story about Jesus where Jesus sits down at this well. This uh, Samaritan woman comes along to gather some water. Jesus asks her for a drink and she's surprised by this. And then he strikes up this conversation with her and he ends up telling her all about her past and present and uh, she says wow you're a prophet Uh, tell me about this and she launches into what seems to be just a really random discussion about worship and he responds with that famous statement of worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth and uh, she says something about a messiah and he says well that's me that's a pretty powerful moment as well because there's not too many times that Jesus just comes right out and says it Well, let's get a little bit of context here for that story. I've got a map up here that shows a little bit of Israel as it was in Jesus' day. And Jesus had been traveling between Jerusalem and Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee. Up there in the north where the Sea of Galilee is and Nazareth, that was, Nazareth was his hometown. The Sea of Galilee was kind of his hub. So that's where he usually was. But sometimes Jews made regular trips to Jerusalem as well. And so sometimes he found himself in Jerusalem. And when they traveled back and forth between the north region and the south region, a good, um, you know, high caliber Jew, unless he was in a real rush, would not travel through Samaria. He would probably rather go around because Jews did not care much for Samaritans and I imagine Samaritans didn't think too highly of Jews either because who likes someone that hates them, right? That's just kind of how it goes. And so Jesus is traveling straight through. So either he was in a hurry or uh, maybe he just wanted to make a point or, uh, you know, he didn't really make a big deal about doing things the way everyone else did anyway. So, you know, here he is in the middle of Samaria. All right. And the Samaritan people, the reason that they, you know, one of the reasons that they weren't much liked, it goes all the way back to your Old Testament history and stuff you read about in the Old Testament. And there's a section of Israel's history where they actually split kind of into two nations instead of one. This was after the reign of Solomon and these different kings that you had a a shuffling of evil kings and some good kings mixed in, but uh, things got kind of ugly. And at one point, the northern kingdom split off from the southern kingdom. And you had the, uh, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that stayed in the south, and then all the other tribes in the north. And the northern kingdom was the first one to become kind of fully corrupted, if you will, and and kind of reject God, and therefore God uh, allowed them to be conquered by other nations, and they were exiled and spread out all over the place. And the, the tribes in the south held out longer, but eventually kind of met the same fate. Well, at this point, that's kind of long history in the past, and they are now back in Israel, 
And this group, the Samaritans, though, still kind of represents in the Jewish mind that northern kingdom that got corrupted. And these Samaritans are people who have intermarried with people of other faiths. And they, yes, worship God, but they also worship other stuff and idols and that kind of thing. And so, uh, to the Jew, these people were kind of like an abomination, if you will. They're sort of Jews that have are living just kind of not the right way. They're not fully worshiping God. And so the Jewish people rejected them completely. Well, the Samaritans had their own ideas about worship, as we'll see. In fact, one of those ideas was about what they called Mount Gerizim. And in that passage, the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, she says, you Jews say that we have to worship at Jerusalem, but our fathers, the, the fathers of the Samaritans, say that we should worship here at this mountain. Well, that mountain was Mount Gerasim. And that is a mountain that uh, several, at least traditionally, several famous events in the Old Testament took place at this mountain. And it was right by what was uh, later that, you know, talked about that northern kingdom. Its capital was right by this mountain. And they had a temple at this mountain for worshiping God. This was the northern Jerusalem, if you will. And so, for the Samaritans, this was the place that you went to. And what they called Jacob's well was there. And land that, that Abraham had passed on to his descendants. And a, a sacred place. For the Samaritans. And they believed this was the place that you went for worship of God. So you have this, that's where Jesus meets this woman. A little more context. Uh, here's a picture of a woman, I believe this is actually in Samaria, possibly Allen Mount Gerasim is where uh, when I was searching for pictures of this region, this one came up. And, but this is a, a depiction of a woman carrying water on her head. And this was a common scene in Jesus' day. Both in Jewish culture and Samaritan culture. In Middle Eastern culture in general. Women often went to draw water. That was kind of one of their jobs traditionally. And they would do that by carrying the jar on their head. Just like the Jungle Book, right? You've seen the Jungle Book and she's carrying the water on her head. And uh, Mowgli gets all entranced by her. Well, the same thing happened back in this day. In fact, when you read about, uh, you'll read about some situations in the Old Testament where a guy looking for a wife goes and hangs out at the well. <laughs> All right? Because that's where the young women are bound to show up. They're the ones that can carry the water. And so they're coming back and forth. between. So, you know, if you were looking for a lady, you went to the well. All right. So this was just a normal scene. Well, Jesus had been traveling... It says uh, that what we can gather from, from the text, it was probably around noon. So around lunchtime. In fact, it says that the disciples were off looking for something to eat. So they had gone to McDonald's and Jesus was hanging out at the water fountain. Alright, and he's sitting there and he's, uh, he's just, sorry about that, that just came out. Uh, he's sitting there and waiting, waiting on supper, lunch. And so... Uh, because of all this context, and because of who he was as a Jewish, a Jewish teacher nonetheless, and because of who she was as a Samaritan woman, 
and men and women didn't generally do a lot of talking anyways. I mean, in that culture, there was kind of a separation there, plus a separation between Jew and Samaritan. So you can imagine the shock when Jesus speaks up and strikes up this conversation with this woman, both to her and anyone else watching. Even the disciples were surprised when they got back later. And he strikes up this conversation. And like I said, you know, he kind of tells her a little bit about her past. And she says, wow, you must be a prophet if you know all that. She was impressed. And then she brings up what seems just completely random. And I don't know, maybe she was trying to divert him from saying anything more about her life. I don't know. Or perhaps uh, she just wanted to know. Because this was one of the key questions that divided Jews from Samaritans. This issue of worship and how to worship God. Because like she said, Jews said you had to worship in Jerusalem. Samaritans said you had to worship at Mount Gerasim. And this was a big hot topic of their day. It was the issue between Samaritans and Jews. And so she says, well, if clearly this guy is from God. He is a prophet. So maybe he has an answer on this thing. He's a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm just going to ask him what he thinks. And what Jesus said is really interesting. What did he mean when he said, Worshippers will worship by spirit, in spirit, and in truth? Well, I think what he was saying, ultimately, was, you know what? The Jews have had their way of doing it. They go to the temple in Jerusalem. You guys have had your way of doing it. But the day is coming where all that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter where you go to worship because the real worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. What he was saying is that it's not worship is not about religion or the trappings of religion. Jesus is kind of putting an end to the huge debate of that day. He's saying you don't need to you're not going to need to visit this mountain or that temple or this place. You're not going to need to do this rite or that rule or follow this or do that or burn this sacrifice or make this atonement. That day is coming to an end. You won't have to try and follow all the 600 rules that they've come up with to add on top of the Old Testament law. That day is coming to an end because that is not worship anymore. Rites like circumcision, that's not worship anymore. A day is coming where those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see how radical that would have been for her who grew up her whole life believing that that mountain is where you worship and the Jews were wrong because they said it's in Jerusalem and here Jesus says, eh, none of that really matters anymore. That's old, that's old news. <laughs> it's an old debate because I'm coming to change it all. He said, I am that Messiah. Well, this was something that the early church would have to wrestle with as well. And we read about that 
in a couple of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's writings to different churches as he's trying to sort through some of the issues that the early, yes, the early church had issues too. <laughs> it's not just our churches that have issues. The church has always had issues because the church is made up of people and people have issues, right? And so uh, the Apostle Paul had to address a couple of these things and kind of help the churches understand what Jesus meant when he said, worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to look at a couple of those with you. Because even after all that Jesus did to make the way clear for all to come to salvation through his ultimate sacrifice, there were still Christians in Paul's day who they were called Judaizers because they wanted to make a Jew out of you, I guess. And so they would go around and spread the word that in order to really be a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. Because salvation was through the Jews, they believed. And they believed that meant more than just that it came from Jesus, who was a Jew. And so they went around telling people they had to be circumcised. If they wanted, and to follow all the other Jewish rules along with that. If they wanted to be a Christian. And so this was a hot topic in Paul's day. And so Paul wrote about this very issue of circumcision, in fact. And hopefully everyone in here knows what we're talking about with circumcision. If you don't, I'm not going to explain it to you right now. But uh, you can go ask your mama later today. <laughs> I'll leave that up to her to explain to you about what that is. All right. So uh, let's look at a passage in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians. In fact, I need that Bible, Julie. Will you hand me that? Thank you. Left that on my seat. I've got one of the Pew Bibles, and in mine, it's on uh, page 1231, where we're going. This is Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 7, uh, because we're on limited time. But if you get a chance to dig deeper in this passage, the whole book of Philippians is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Uh, So explore the context a little bit when you get home. Okay. Here's Paul dealing with these Judaizers by encouraging the Philippian church and uh, reminding them of what's true. Beginning at verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. (laughs) How about that for a way to start a passage? Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? Worship by the Spirit. Kind of like what Jesus said. Who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on here to explain all of his uh, things that would be considered quite prestigious by Jewish people, by Jewish standards. He was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. The tribe of Benjamin was one of those tribes that stayed the most faithful. So that was a thing of note to be of the tribe of Benjamin. It says, in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees kept the law as strict as anybody. As for zeal, he says he was so zealous that he was persecuting the church. 
As for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. That's quite a statement. That means all those rules, all those 600 rules, he woke up each day following them to the T. The very best he could, as well as anyone could. And then he goes on to say this in the last verse we'll read right now. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of this Messiah that was announced to that Samaritan woman at that well. Because that Messiah, because that Christ toppled everything on its head. So all those amazing religious qualifications that he had. He called them rubbish. He called them garbage. And instead, pursuing Christ and his truth. Worshipping by the Spirit. That became everything for Paul. And he reminded the Philippians of that. Let's read a little bit more about this same issue, but over one book back in Ephesians. So just flip a few pages back before Philippians to the book of Ephesians. Uh, In the Pew Bible, I'm on 1225. This is Ephesians 2. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to start at verse 11. Read a couple verses there, and then we're going to skip over to verse 17. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly those, uh, those of you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now pause just for a second because I want you to consider this and I think this is very uh, appropriate and applicable to today's message and that story we just read. Go ahead and in place of Gentiles, substitute in your mind just for this time through Samaritans because they were in the same boat. Alright, Gentiles were non-Jews, Samaritans were probably one step below Gentiles for most Jews. So, consider that for a moment in that light. And just think about that context of Jesus speaking to this Samaritan woman and saying to her, You who are Samaritans by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the message that Jesus was taking to that woman right there by the well. Let's skip over to verse 17. He, being Christ, came and preached peace To you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, both Gentile and Jew. That's far away and near. Through him, through Christ, we both, Gentile and Jew, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Have you ever noticed that that verse is on the wall out here in the brick, set in the brick by the corner of this sanctuary? If you go outside, it says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in verse 20. Uh, So maybe for the next few days at least, when you see that, uh, you'll think about this message a little bit and what we're about to discover about that. But do you catch what he's saying here? Remember how I said that the Samaritans thought you had to worship at Mount Gerizim because that's where their temple had been. And the Jews said you had to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. You had to worship in a certain way, in a certain place. And here in the good news, in the aftermath of what Jesus did for us, the Apostle Paul writes that we're all fellow citizens with God. And that he's building his household on a foundation. The temple was his household before. If you read the Old Testament, that's where God lived in the tabernacle or in the temple. His presence dwelt there. And it says he's building a new household built on the foundation of the, pro- of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone And in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now is he talking about a literal temple? No. And here's where we know exactly what he's talking about. Because it says in verse 22, And in him you too, you also, are being built together. He's talking to all of us, church. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Here's the powerful thing. And if you have uh, sorry, I need to skip down. If you have your note card, we can fill this in now. We are the temple. That's what Jesus was saying when he said it's, the day is coming when those who worship in spirit Uh, Those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, He's saying to her, the debate is ended. You don't have to go to Mount Gerasim. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to follow all these old customs and everything because I'm going to make you into the temple that I dwell in. And this holds a lot of significance for us today because we fall into the same traps that the Jews and the Samaritans fell into all those years ago. We fall into the same traps because we grow up, if you grew up in the church or if you've been here a while or maybe you just have been on the outside of the church looking in but you've got all these preconceived notions about what church is like and what those church people are like then probably you think that it's worship is about a lot of stuff. If you grew up like me, that's what you think either consciously or subconsciously. That worship means going to a certain place at a certain time. That it involves certain things. That it should probably have stained glass windows and a steeple outside. That it should have a certain name on the front door. That there should be a certain hymnal or a certain projector. Or whatever generation you find yourself in, maybe. 
We believe that certain things and theologies should be said in a certain way, that certain practices should happen in a certain way. And we take out our bulletin and we believe that probably it should start with some sort of a welcome and an opening prayer. And then maybe if there's birthdays, we'll have a birthday celebration. And then we'll sing some hymns. And then we'll have the pastor pray a glorious prayer because no one can pray like the pastor. Then we will give our tithes and offerings because that's what you do when you come to worship and you'll have a scripture reading and you'll have a sermon and these are the things that make up worship. That's our notion of what worship is. So in some ways, because we've been, I don't know, brainwashed in that way, that's just what we've always known and what we've associated with worship, it's easy that we can fall into the same trap that the Samaritans and Jews did and say, no, No, see, we believe that you have to worship this way. And I know you guys at that church across town, you've got some different ideas about it. But, you know, this is is how you do it. uh, The way that we do it here. And it's not that none of that matters at all. It's just that it doesn't matter when it's compared with Christ. And it doesn't matter when it's compared with what he's done for us and to true worship and the day has come when we if we want to worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth we are the temple and when you see that sign on the corner of the building out there yes it's a nice dedication verse for these walls that we put up these very nice walls the beautiful sanctuary that we get to worship in every week. But it also should remind us that this is just sheetrock and brick and the temple of God in which He and His Spirit dwells in is you and me, His church. Amen? Amen. So how do... What, okay, <laughs> we get that far and this has been deep and your brain's probably hurting if you're like me. <laughs> by this time that we've looked through all this scripture one more thing I want to share with you that I feel like puts meat on the bones if you will it puts it helps us make sense of what does it mean then okay you say we're the we're the temple great what does it mean to be the temple what does it mean to actually do this worshiping in spirit and in truth and so I want to leave you with this verse and I've got kind of a, we'll call it parallel versions up here. There's the New American Standard and the Message. You get about as literal on the left as you can get of a translation word for word and then on this, on this other side just kind of a, in our daily language how it could be interpreted. And I love both of these passages and so I wanted us to read them both together. Uh, I'll read them. You don't have to try and read them. I know some of the words are small and stuff. New American Standard on this side pretty literal translation. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? He's telling us. It means to present 
your bodies as a living sacrifice. None of this religious stuff, none of this sacrifices and burnt offerings that the Jews had to do, or the things that we have as equivalents, just give him your life and let him transform it. And this is why I love the message version, because, you know, when you read, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, that's kind of a foreign concept for us. And so I love the way the message writes it out. And it says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. I believe that worshiping in spirit and truth means letting the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out so that your everyday life as you walk around this world as a temple of the Holy Spirit is honoring and glorifying to Him. It says the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's not seeking more people to warm a pew. He's seeking people who will live for Him with their whole life. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Tonight, when you go home, and as you get ready for bed, because everyone does that right, you have to get ready before you get in the bed. I don't know why that is, but we do. It's such a pain. Sometimes you get tired, you just want to go to bed. No, you've got to get ready for bed, because that's what your mama taught you. As you get ready for bed tonight, I want you to take that slip of paper that you had that you just filled in, We Are the Temple, on, and place it, if you've got a nightstand, place it there, just place it beside your bed. And have it ready. And in the morning when you wake up, first thing, grab that sheet of paper, use, it's got that message translation of Romans 12.1, and I want you to use that to kind of guide you through a prayer that'll sound something like this. It'll say, God... I want to offer you every bit of my life today. I pray that the way I talk to people I live with would honor you. That was a, that's a big prayer to pray, isn't it? The way I talk to the people that I live with, that that would honor you. That my work ethic as I go to work or do the things that I do today would honor you and would get, bring you glory. That my food choices would honor you. That my driving habits would honor you. That my attitude and my demeanor as I go through this day would be an act of worship to you. Pray for Him to lead you by His Spirit into truth so that He might receive the glory from you that day. See how it works out practically for your life? That's what God is looking for. That's what the Father is seeking, is those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing a song. Father, oh, we dug deep today, God. And it's challenging to be challenged in this way, God, about what it means to live as the temple of God 
We want to be people, Father, who worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to understand how you've turned everything on its head. And all that this world thinks is worshiping God is not what you're looking for at all. It's not the stuff. It's not the things we do, the rules that we follow. It's ultimately, it's about us being the temple of God ourselves and of offering our very lives to you as a holy sacrifice so that you can transform us from the inside out and we can be walking testaments to the power of God living in us so that the world might be changed through Christ Jesus. We pray this as his church. Amen.